bandwidth for changelog is provided by fastly learn more at fastly.com Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 234, and Jared and I talked to Pia Mancini, one of the co-founders of Open Collective. We talked about her background and where she came from, her passion around upgrading democracy, what Open Collective is, how it works, how you can support your favorite open source communities, but more importantly, how you can take part and start your own collective. We have three sponsors today, GoCD from our friends at ThoughtWorks, TopTile, and also Rollbar. First sponsor of the show is our friends at ThoughtWorks, promoting their awesome open source continuous delivery service called GoCD. GoCD is an on-premise open source continuous delivery server that lets you automate and streamline your build test release cycle for reliable continuous delivery. With GoCD's comprehensive pipeline modeling, you can model complex workflows for your team with ease, and the value stream app lets you track a change from commit to deploy at a glance. The real power is in the visibility it provides over your end-to-end workflow, so you can get complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.io slash changelog. Once again, gocd.io slash changelog for a free download. It is open source. Commercial support is also available and enterprise add-ons as well, including disaster recovery. Once again, gocd.io slash changelog. And now onto the show. So we are back. It is the first show of the year, Jared. Man, 2017, we're here. 2017. Can you believe it? I can believe it. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, nice, nice break over the holidays, but back fresh talking to Pia Mancini from Open Collective. And we're huge fans of the work they're doing there, the the great budgets they've helped create for open source, a lot of the uh, crowdfunding happening from communities and that transparency back. Uh, you know, So Pia, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. This isn't... Um, Open Collective is not your first thing. It's not where you began. And one of the things we need to figure out is is to figure out where it came from. So how did you get involved with Open Collective? What's the backstory to you? Um, whew, it's pretty long, guys. I come from politics, which is probably not what you expected. <laughs> I'm actually a political scientist by training. I worked in politics most of my life. I co-founded a political party in Argentina run for elections myself. I did uh, civic technology for quite some time, um, developed a platform that is being used by congresses around the world and and other political parties called Democracy OS. Its second version is now Democracy Earth. And um, so that's that's where I've come from, actually from the political uh, world. And all of my work has been trying to find ways of this is going to sound a bit outrageous. Maybe it is, but but rendering sort of governments and the nation state a bit obsolete in front of the internet. So thinking of the internet as a jurisdiction, if you want, a political jurisdiction. Um, mm. We are organized very, very territorially still. All our political institutions are, ter- you know, territorially based. We are represented by the people that running the place where we happen to be living in. 
or, or that we happen to be born at. Um, and so most of my work was finding ways to sort of circumvent that and, and think of the internet as a, as a new political space. Mm-hmm. Um, and Open Collective is actually CAMS also in that line. Um, so governments are our legacy institutions. Um, they force us to fit into these boxes that legal entities, right, in order for you to, for a group of people with a shared mission mm-hmm. to receive the funding, you need to become what the government understands. It's a proper political entity, whether that's an LLC, a 501c3, a foundation, depends on the country, it doesn't matter. But it's territorially based, right? An open source project, I mean, the internet in general, but open source projects, especially, they are run by people who might never meet and they're transnational. And the fact that they organize themselves in networks, um, basically online, means that they can't receive money, right? Because they are either they're not willing or they're not able to become these sort of legal entities that governments require to receive funding. And 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 for us, for the sort of founders of Open Collective, that's um that's irrational. Um I think that online communities um can thrive and need funding to to do so, need funding to do what they love. Uh, to do what um, they, their mission is, to accomplish what they set out to do. And so Open Collective was a way of um, of creating some sort of in, what in my mind is like a, a browser on top of governments for all of these online communities to be able to receive funding without having to create a legal entity and have a conversation about who's the owner of something. It's like asking who's the president of the internet. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of the path towards hmm. um, what I'm doing now. So back in 2014, you gave it talk. No, that wasn't too long. It just uh, opens up. You open up so many cans of worms there. Yeah. I'm just not sure yeah, which one I'm uh, bite, bite into first. But I was thinking back to a, a little bit, a note we have about a talk, a TED talk you gave in 2014, which was quite well received to the tune of a million plus views how to upgrade democracy for the internet era. So what you just said there to us, is that kind of the nut of what this talk was about and kind of your mission to uh, kind of recreate or replace uh, governance for the internet? Um, more than replace, I would say redesign. Like the, the talk that I gave was um, about how we can use the way I see it is that politics is trying to solve today's problems with yesterday's tools, which is not mm. a, a phrase of mine, it's Marshall McLuhan's. But um, so that's pretty much what we are trying to do, right? We are trying to um, navigate a world with a very, very dated map. And so my proposal was how we can use technology to upgrade our political institutions, to redesign our political institutions in a way that are more um, in sync with how we organize today as a society. Um, so the fact that our representatives are, um, so, so what we do now is we essentially um, sort of outsource our thinking, our decision-making, our citizenship um, on a group of professional citizens for four years or six years or, you know, really long periods of time for every topic for everything and based on a terri- on, on where you are living. 
Um, and I think that that sort of kind of vertical representation needs to be redesigned. And what we propose uh, with Democracy OS and now with Democracy Earth is sort of a, a horizontal kind of representation where you get to assign your trust on different people for different topics, for different periods of time. So technology allows us to have a much more sophisticated, dynamic, fluid representation um, that emerges social leadership. That again, it's not territorial. Like it, it really blows my mind that I'm, I'm only represented by Argentina in sort of you know the world just because I, mm -hmm. I was born there. Like maybe I'd rather have I know you Adam represent me on certain issues. And why can't you do it just because we weren't born in the same territory? That really blows my mind. Like I, mm. I think that that needs to be redesigned urgently. And that mm. was what the talk was about. So it's interesting because you're, you're coming at this as a politician, or at least you, you know, as a political scientist, you, political scientist mm -hmm. and one who's ran for, you know, political office. So I, I would consider mm -hmm. you a politician in that sense. Um, it seems like to to upgrade the system, you you have to engage the system. I don't know. It just seems like a uh, seems like such a huge war to fight. And um, are, well, are you trying you to upgrade? Earlier, or you, you, yeah, no, you said very, you said circumvent, and then you said upgrade. Mm, I'm just trying to no, understand. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, thank you for that. And 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 I that's exactly what happened. That was exactly the path. So in 2014 the talk was about upgrading and the political okay. party and the running for elections and all of that was about engaging with the system and kind of hacking it, kind of rewiring, right? Like grabbing right. what was there. And, and and that was Democracy OS. That was the first version of the platform. And that was like okay. everything I've done until probably 2015. And then the second phase um, that we started with Democracy Earth is when we decided it was just too hard. It was almost impossible. We were trying to get a system that it's entrenched, that it's closed, um, and we were trying to get power to devolve power, right? Mm. And um, right. And so, so, and so, the next sort of stage is, or or what we are thinking now uh, is how we can create an alternative system that renders the existing one obsolete. So gotcha. Democracy Earth, that is the second version, and Open Collective, what are trying is to say, look, you know what, guys, we're not going to fight against government or, or nation states. We're just going to build on another level of the stack, on a level on top. Mm. Um, and so Democracy Earth is a decision-making platform that runs on blockchain. So uses Satoshis for voting and um, liquid mm. democracy protocols. An open collective is what it does is like essentially we, we are creating a platform on top of which people around the world with a shared mission can do what they want um, and get funding to do it. And then there's a platform underneath that allows them to do that. And the platform connects with the governments. So we we do the bookkeeping, we 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 do the taxes, we you know, we are sort of compliant, but we sort of the platform, not everyone else. So it's like abstracting all of that friction for everyone else. That's sort of our way of circumventing, if you want. Gotcha. Rewiring, I like that. <laughs> Rewiring is so a good concept because, you know, a lot of times we want to get in there and tinker. And in many cases, like in your TED Talk, you talked about how you had to work so hard to get to a certain level in politics or to be a politician. You had to work so hard to get to a 
to the seat at the table, basically, to influence mm-hmm. decisions. And I can see where Open Collective rewires things to give the power back to the people to unite and organize while the platform itself uh, engages as needed and is compliant with the necessary local governments. Exactly. It just doesn't make sense that if you have an open source project, you need to do all of that yourself. Right. You know, it just we need to be able to abstract all of that friction for communities around the world. And it's not only open source. Like think about unions, for example. This is one of the things that I'm most passionate about, and one of the reasons why um, I, you know, Open Collective is so um, important to me. Like now we have algorithmic companies like Uber, for example, right? That they, you know, they are at this transnational level, they are the same interface for everyone around the world, but then their contractors, their drivers, they are still siloed in the nation states, they're siloed in the governments. And um, there's no reason why we, sh- we can't have a union of drivers from Mexico, the United States and Canada, for example. And the power mm-hmm. of these networks would be far larger than what it is now that they are sort of encapsulated in each kind of different governments or states or territorial sort of legislation. Um, So Open Collective actually aims to do that. Um, And so, for example, another um, example is like when I co-founded the Net Party in Argentina in 2013, we couldn't raise funds for our campaign until government approved our legal entity, our political party. And of course, the government wasn't very keen in approving a political party that was aiming, you know, at right. forcing this conversation between citizens and, 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 you know, opening up Congress, etc. So we had to jump through some serious um, hoops to make it happen. And we got our party approved, I don't know, something like two weeks before or three weeks before election. So that's when we, ha- we could start receiving money. Um, and that's unfair. That is very unfair because you depend on the same authority that you're trying to transform <laughs> to receive right. money, right? Yeah, you have to ask permission from the status quo if you can replace the status quo. There you know? go, exactly. It just it doesn't make sense, right? And it's impossible. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so now, for example, we have a political party on Open Collective that it's a political party that was modeled after the Net Party um, in Uruguay. And they started raising funds on Open Collective. They're not waiting for the status quo to say, the establishment to say, okay, you know, we are blessing you with your legal entity status and you wow. can now collect money. <laughs> right. It's so wild to, to, to have done that like that. So let's, let's lay out Open Collective a little bit and put it on the table, talk about what it is and how it's designed. And then, you know, we'll dig into the details and specifically how those details affect the greater open source community that's the one that us and our audience are most concerned about but uh, obviously there's a lot of different ways you can use open collective like you just said a political party um, i know there's collectives for meetups there's collectives for open source there's probably collectives for all sorts of initiatives and things that you that you want to gather together around but open collective as a thing uh, calls itself a new form of association transparent by design and it says a group of people with a shared mission that operates in full transparency. Can you uh, take those two statements and kind of launch off and tell us more? I mean, essentially, Open Collective is um, a way to enable these new associations to 
um, become a collective that has funding and members and operates in full transparency. So to bring it to the open source um, community, if you have an open source project for which you'd like to receive funding for, um, and you have maintainers from all around the world um, that they might or, or, or might not have met, um, they can now become a collective, become an, an, an entity without, again, without needing sort of any sort of government permission and start raising funds on, on this platform. And it's transparent by design because the only way of um, for this collective, to, for the collectives in general, to receive funding or um, get money out of the system is by doing it on the platform and everything gets recorded. And so it's, it's transparent by design. We think that the conversation about money, especially in um, volunteer communities or open source communities, um, it's a very tricky um, issue. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a hairy issue. And um, our proposal is that the way of making that easier is by being transparent about it is by showing what it takes to create an amazing open source project, right? Laying out what your expenses are and laying out what you expect to get out of it and allowing for others to cover those expenses. Like starting a conversation about money, um, it's where the transparent by design kind of element for us is core to what we do. So transparency in terms of the purpose of the collective as well as the financial needs of the collective and then all the way to the the use of those so the expenses paid or the labor what mm-hmm. however you end up using the money is all publicly available information yes exactly yeah and because because we genuinely believe that a big part of why it's so hard to talk about money in these kind of communities is because it's always a bit hash hash we're always a bit guilty of you know asking for money or ashamed to do it um, it's done sometimes, you know, closed doors and sort of bringing all of that in the open. We think it's mm-hmm. a way of, um, of, ma- of having a, a healthier conversation about, about money and funding in open source. Yeah. It also removes any reasonable doubt or skepticism around organizations who are willing to do that. I know one of the I've always been very skeptical of most charities, almost all of them. Mm. I, I, <laughs> like I'm de facto cynical on charities because I don't know where that money's going. I'm not sure what happens. And you see all this, especially when it's uh, for some reason, uh, when it's trying to get me to send money somewhere in Africa, I'm thinking it's never going to get to where it needs to go. Um, and, and because there's no transparency, I can continue to remain as skeptical and cynical as I want because they're not proving otherwise. Um, one charity that I've uh, embraced and really appreciate is Charity Water. And one of the reasons why I think Charity Water is so cool is because they show exactly where the money goes and they keep you in the loop and they show you like, here's how much money is going 100% to this particular well in this particular region. It's geo positioned so you can see where it is in the world and they'll send you pictures throughout the process. And just this level of transparency removes all of the skepticism and doubt because you know exactly what's happening. And so yeah. I think building that in by design enables a lot more people and groups to, be, to follow that example. Yeah. So really an cool open thing. collective, exactly. No, an open collective is an it's an association 
Um, it's a group of people with a shared mission that operate transparently by design. Yeah. There's no other way. It's not like GitHub that you can have closed or open collectives. Like an open collective is this. It's it's right. it's showing who's giving you money, where the money is going, submitting expenses, um, you know, uploading. We, you know, there are collectives that even if the even if they don't have any donations yet, are already submitting expenses because they want to show what goes into building a community, building a project, building a meetup. Um, mm -hmm. And many of these things are taken for granted as well. And, and part of, of the problem, I think, before Open Collective appeared was that before the only way of managing money was either using someone's personal bank account Right, which is highly problematic, or I don't know, a shoebox, or using cash, or, and so it was. It, it there was so much friction going into funding a project like this, um, and and our our mission is to remove all of that friction and and hopefully enable a lot more collaboration because all mm -hmm. of this is in the open. Well, I think that sets the stage pretty well. We have a bunch of questions about Open Collective, how it works, the repercussions, and what all the different details uh, mean for us and for the open source community and anybody who's either engaging it as a collective or trying to join one. Um, so let's take up our first break, and we will talk about those things right after this. I talked to Daniel Reed, head of design at TopTile, about their new expansion into TopTile designers doing for designers what they've done for developers. We talked about why TopTile works for designers, and this is what she had to say. As a designer, the big, or as any kind of creative person, the big overarching question is always like, how can you find inspiration? Um, and for me personally, and for a lot of creatives that I've spoken to, it's really about traveling, exploring, and being accountable for your own career. And I think as a top tile designer or a remote designer in general, the ability to be able to switch up your lifestyle, change contexts, meet new people, uh, have new ideas sort of infiltrated into your life, by having that freedom and flexibility is something that's absolutely fundamental to doing great work. That's the real power of TopTel, I feel. You're not just stuck with one product, one company, or even one agency, but you can choose to work on multiple occasionally or a range of different clients. Um, and I think that that keeps you fresh. It gets you involved in new technologies, different people, and is really fundamental for being sort of switched on as a designer. All right, that was Daniel Reed, head of design for TopTal. To learn more, go to toptal.com slash designers. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash designers. Tell them Adam from the Changelog sent you. And now back to the show. All right, we are back with Pia Mancini talking about Open Collective. And before the break, you laid out Open Collective, uh, what it is, its mission, and its design to a certain degree. We'd like to understand how it works, I guess, on a practical sense uh, for a hypothetical project and a new Open Collective being founded. Let's just say Adam and I have an open source project. It's getting popular, uh, Project X. It's got a great name because it's Project X. And we've been putting time and effort into it. And we're starting to think if we're going to keep this going, you know, we might need a thousand bucks a month or, or some sort of income coming in. Let's, let's start an open collective. How would it, the process work? And 
and what does Open Collective provide for our group and Project X? All right. So essentially, if Project X is an open source project, um, you would apply to create a collective. Um, the, the, the link is like open collective slash open source slash apply. And the reason why that I'm mentioning that is because that connects to GitHub. So okay. you, would pick your, you would pick your repository and your contributors, your core contributors, and then we would create the open collective. And what that means has um, two different elements to it. So the first one is you will um, have your own public page on Open Collective. It's going to be opencollective.com slash project X. Okay. And there you will be able to um, state your mission, show your expenses um, and your donations, and show who your core contributors are. And you have there's two buttons to um, receive donations. Um, now, the second aspect of it is where the money goes. So once you guys have this set up um, and someone wants to come along and says, like, oh, I love Project X, I want to give them $100 per month, they hit mm -hmm. on your public page, give them $100 per month button, and then what happens? So uh, right. a Stripe model pops up, the user credit card, and that money goes to your host organization. In this case, the host organization for open source projects at the moment is Open Collective. Um, but it can be another organization that acts as the host. Um, okay. So, for example, the Ruby projects on Open Collective are not hosted by Open Collective. They are hosted by Ruby together. All the Docker meetups are hosted on Docker themselves. That What's means the that hosts, like, what does the host do? Exactly. So the host role is to receive those funds, those supports earmarked for you, so in your name, and holds that money for you. And then when you, for example, submit an expense, say, for example, you have your hosting costs, you submit that expense on your open collective page, and the host organization reimburses you, pays the, that expense for you. That's the role of the host of receiving mm. funds for you and then paying for your expenses. Then what, what the host organization does as well, and this is the part that we were talking about of how we're removing friction for Project X in this case, is they keep the books on that money, they, um, they are compliant with regulations on that money, and they pay taxes if need be on, that, on those funds. That's why they charge a fee. For hosting you. So these are the, the two parts of Open Collective. The public page, that is where you can receive the funds, and then the host organization, that it's a legal entity that receives the funds in your name and manages it. Manages so them. how can you trust the host? Well, the Open Collective is the host for all open source projects. So because this is all public information and it's transparent, everyone knows that Open Collective has X amount of money that belongs to Project X. And we then, when you have, when you submit an expense, we reimburse and, you know, um, that expense, we pay that expense from your pool of money. And because everything happens on the Open Collective platform, it's very clear um, how much money each collective has. 
how much money is there left and if you can, for example, pay or not for a certain expense. Like the system, for example, won't let you um, submit an expense without an invoice. It won't let you pay for an expense if there are not sufficient funds in that collective. Um, so that's that's how the system works. That's 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 the setup that allows you to receive funding and use that money without needing to create a legal entity. Right. It's uh, it's very much bring your own host kind of situation. So if I'm if I have a relationship with a nonprofit or some sort of legal entity, I could have them host. You know, if I wanted to. So in case in the case of the Ruby meetups or Ruby projects, they're using Ruby together because they're a legal entity. I'm not sure if they're 501c3 or not, but for whatever reason, they could adopt them as their host or use the default of Open Collective. And that's the kind of default um, host, so to speak. So you can use the, the default or you can bring your own. That's correct. So, for example, mm. Women Who Code, it's, um, it's a 501c3. It's a very large um, organization. And they have local chapters, like local Women Who Code around the world. and all of those sort of local networks are an open collective and the money is hosted by women who code 501c3. It's not hosted by us, by open collective. Um, Docker did the same with their meetups. So many meetups of Docker around the world and the money goes to Docker and then they are in charge of paying those expenses. Um, We have collectives that are actually self-hosted as well that they're using Open Collective right. as a transparent mm. uh, platform, crowdfunded platform, but they have their own legal entity, they have their own bank account, but they want to give that, sort of provide that extra level of transparency. They want to use Open Collective as a way to receive um, money from backers and sponsors without worrying about setting this up. Um, right. And so like Democracy Earth is an example, for example. Um, they are um, a foundation, a 501c3, but they use open collective to receive funding as well. So it's bring your own host or find a host that you trust and that you mm-hmm. have worked with or use open collective as a host. Is open collective as a host, uh, are the donations to the, those who use open collective as a host, are they a nonprofit donation? Are they tax deductible donations? So not at this stage, we're still in the process of getting IRS approval for that. Um, but we are sort of ha- we are um, filing for a 501c3 as well. So the idea is that the foundation, the Open Collective Foundation, is going to be the host organization for all open source projects and and um, other kind of um, meetups and other kind of collectives that are have sort of they're non for profit or have charitable purposes or have social impact. Um, and that's going to be completely removed from Open Collective, the company that's managing the platform. Can we also break down the contributors portion of this too? So once we're past that stage, we've got our collective page. We've got uh, we've informed our uh, you know small budding community. Jared and I were working really hard on Project X, and we're telling people about it. They're going to openclick.com/slash/projectx, and there's two options there. You mentioned contributors, which is either a backer, which I think is a person and a sponsor, which typically might be an organization or, you know, a company out there in the community who cares about what we're doing and they want mm-hmm. to help us get there. Can you kind of break down how that works? Yep. So um, this is the the way we set it up is, um, and again, this 
a collective can decide to do this differently. Um, so backers start at $2 per month, and typically they are individuals that are supporting um, an open source, any, any collective. And sponsors can be individuals or companies, but start at $100 per month um, support. And they have like different kind of avatars and they both of them show up as backers and sponsors on the um, GitHub readme of the collectives. Um, and then each collective can decide um, to have other, we call them tiers. So you can decide, for example, so MocaJS, for example, starts for their sponsors at $500 per month, right? Um, and you can decide, for example, uh, React Boilerplate, they have like this setup where they have a gold sponsor or silver sponsor, and they have like different tiers and they give them different sort of online real estate on their website or their readme, depending on the support that they receive. Um, we are working with, um, so Webpack, what they did is they give sponsors sort of gold points for their decision-making tool. Um, the app they use for features. Um, we're also working on offering office hours for sponsors, again, above a certain sort of threshold. So if you support a project with I don't know, above whatever number, like $1,000 per month, or and this is just a makeup number. Um, mm -hmm. So you get one hour or, you know, of a call per month with a core contributor or every other month with a core team, or you get sort of, you know, some things like that, um, that encourage support. And also we move past the goodwill. Right. The charity so, model. Yes. Exactly. We talked about that recently, Jared, on the, the ending show for the first season of Request for Commits, where Michael said that companies need to uh, reassess their relationship with open source and their idea that it's supporting it is charity. Mm. Yeah, totally. Like, so um, part of the of the reason why we're doing a five hundred one foundation, a five hundred one c three as well, is because we want we want to experiment with building some sort of membership um, organization. So we created this open source collective. It's essentially a a super collective, we call it, but it's like a bundle of every open source project on our platform. And we have sponsors at the open collective, at the open source collective level. So mm. we are working very hard to strike a couple of deals with some companies to give sort of a larger donation to the mm. open source collective. And then um, we either distribute that to the projects that they're most interested in, or we give the members of the open source collective certain perks and things like that. Um, so we, what we what we'd like to do is to create a whole community around this idea that open source is not just giving money, it's about being part and a member of, of, of this group, of this community, and, and bringing the companies on board as members of the collectives. For us, it's, it's like breaking that barrier that is, oh, we have, you know, $2,000 per budget for this year. We'll just give it to what's or open source <laughs> you know what i mean like we we want right. to break that yeah um, and 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 what we're experimenting with or is creating a community where everyone is a member and you know you have certain perks for belonging essentially whether that's access to the maintainers or 
access to office hours or you know, a better say on features, it really is up to the collectives to decide. Like we don't have, um, we are not forcing anything. We don't, we don't have an agenda in terms of what they can do, but it's about how we can work together in, um, in creating an environment where it's not the company just, you know, giving money when they're lucky or, you know, things like that, or sending them yeah. pizza for a meetup, you know, which is great, but you can't live on pizza. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Or you can, Ramen. it's just not extremely healthy. Yeah, exactly. You can live for a little while. You can live. Uh, I like the idea of the super collective or the, you know, your open source, which is a collective of collectives. Mm. I could see that being as you branch out into you know other budding initiatives, you could have collectives. You could have like these groups where maybe it's the, the internet freedom collective and you have an EFF collective and uh, this collective and you have these other people that are doing different things, supporting internet freedom or whatever the, the, the bigger mission happens to be. And you could just, you know, Adam, maybe he loves the EFF, so he's going to contribute directly to them, but I just love internet freedom in general. And so I'm just going to contribute at a higher level and let the money go where it needs to go. That's uncanny because we are actually building an internet freedom super collective with oh, <laughs> Yeah, with um, with OTF, with the Open Technology Fund. Absolutely. Wow. That's, I did not exactly know that. It. Yeah, I thought you had seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I just was thinking that would be a good use case. So I guess I drilled it. Yeah, you you just, that's exactly it. And, and so building these sort of super collectives and the Internet Freedom Collective, it's, it's a great example. So all the projects that OTF funded or they can't, fund for a certain reason, but they would love to fund. Um, and so bundling all together means that they can give them, for example, um, um, I don't know, they can give the, the collective um, a workshop on how to apply to grants, for mm -hmm. example, or like crypto kind of, you know, um, teaching of, or, or of some um, sort or um, and others and kind of, of perks that, that make sense at that sort of level. It's about sort of mutualizing resources for certain groups. Um, so, yeah, that's that's super interesting but when I think so. I'm not sure if we put it out there yet, but I know in the break we did ask you how long Open Collective has been in place. And you said uh, this is 2017 now. So in 2016, you founded in February. Is that right? Or was it 2015? Yeah, no, no, 2016. Okay, so, so we're, we're um, not even a year into this into this thing. Yeah, so I, we started actually working, um, and I know this because my baby was two months old. Um, mm -hmm. On the 11th of January, um, we wow. started sort of working, and then we went live pretty much early February. When um, nice. our first collectives were, um, or amongst our first collectives were Yeoman, for example, and uh, Rails Girls Atlanta, this kick-ass meetup um, from Atlanta. And um, so, yeah, we are um, super proud of them. And then, of course, Women Who Code came on board really, really early on. And it was a great learning curve um, with them. I think over the next little bit, I'd like to break down kind of like not only how much money uh, you've enabled to be raised, but also how and what you've done to get it right. Because this isn't the first time something like this has come about and you've got other platforms out there that kind of have not exactly the same mission, but the nuts and bolts and the way things work are very similar. 
so maybe we could start out with with uh, since last February, what the effort has done. So I think uh, I'll put it in your hands to explain the details of it. Basically, we're looking at roughly 141 ish thousand dollars towards open source has been uh, raised or what you mm-hmm. call an annual budget, basically mm-hmm. for, for that across 100 collectives and more than 8,300 contributors. So let's break down kind of like what the effort has collected so far, the impact so far, and then mm-hmm. maybe what you've been doing right to get there. Um, so we didn't start with open source as our focus at the beginning. We experimented with many different um, collectives, but very soon we realized that um, open source, um, co- the open source community had a massive pain point there because meetups, whether you like it or not, they they already were already dealing with money somehow. Yeah. They, you know, like some way or another, mm-hmm. they were managing to get some of their expenses paid. Yes, it's painful and they had to match an expense with a, with a donor, you know, someone paid for the play, someone paid for the pizzas. But open source had absolutely nothing. And um, it really was a big pull for us instead of us pushing open collective. We started receiving a, a lot of inbound requests to create um, collectives. And, and it's, been, it's been a very long learning curve. It's been, you know, it took us quite a while to realize that um, part of the problem was not the collectives or the open source collectives not knowing how to spend the money, um, wanting support but not being sure how to go about asking for money. Um, and so, um, talking through these um, issues with um, our community, with the open source um, collectives, has been very helpful. And and the latest result of that was that we completely redesigned, well, not completely, but we did a big redesign of the open collective, um, the the collectives page, um, where now the expenses and the donations are at the very top above the fold. And um, and that that was us saying we need to talk about money in these kind of communities instead of you know, talking about what we do and, and what's great about the projects and the people. And then at the very last, you know, the issue that no one really wants to talk about, that it's money. Um, so, um, you know, bringing that up the front of, of the design, um, what we are trying to achieve is, is to say, don't, like a good way of collaborating is showing um, your expenses and then asking for people to cover those expenses without being ashamed of that. Yeah. And then talking about how's best to um, spend that money, whether it's, you know, um, paying for features or whether it's um, giving contributors X portion of, of those funds as rewards for their work or, or paying, you know, um, uh, infrastructure that everyone shared, like, swag or flying people to meetups or conferences or you know paying for someone to go speak um, about your project at a certain conference or things like that um so i think that what we really learned our biggest learning curve was um not the fact that it was difficult to raise money which which it is but what's what was more complicated was how to spend that money 
on how to have a conversation about how to spend that money. Um, mm. And that's um, that's super interesting. Something else that we we learned as well was at the very beginning we thought that companies would jump at the opportunity to give to open source. That is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) I love the dramatic pause. (laughs) Um, It, you know, it was very, like we have some amazing sponsors that have been um, sponsors of the platform from the very, very, very first day. And, you know, we love them to bits for that, but there are very few, like the rest, we really need to, to, to work. Um, to get them on board. Um, and also part of our challenge and part of our role as Open Collective um, and sort of in a way of like stewards of, of these communities, like how do we help the communities deal with the fact that maybe they're going to have an Open Collective, but it's not like they're going to receive, you know, thousands of dollars from day one, right? Um, and how right. to, um, what are the best strategies to find those funders or those donors and how to reach out to sponsors and companies? We did that a lot ourselves at the very beginning, like really trying to understand what the value proposition is for sponsors. And I think that part of the of why we struggled so much at the beginning was because we were seeing it through the lens of charity. Yeah. Like you need to give to open source because how are you not going to give to, you're Netflix, how are you not, not going to give to Gulp.js for crying out loud? It's like, it's such a big part of, of your, you know, and, um, and that's not the right focus. That's not mm. the, the, the best approach. And we learned that the hard way. We learned that from really not being able to find sponsors or to help collectives get sponsors. Um, and so now our focus has much more to do with um, being, as I was saying before, like everyone being part of a certain community and getting something in exchange for their support, right? Like really getting mm-hmm. what they need, that it might be support, might be access to information, might be just, you know, the ability to reach out every now and then to a Sean of the, you know, the Sean Larkins of the world and then replying to an email um, or things like that. And um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of companies out there that use these um, projects, that they're not the Netflix and Google and Yahoo's, but they are the 1,001 pharmacies, you know? And they they are willing to support the, the, the technology that they use, the softwares that they use, and the open source softwares that they use. Um, but because they need, they also need something in return. They also want to be in the know. They also want to be part of this community. And we are working, like that's our the framework that we've been, I guess, that's been guiding our actions. One aspect of that, which this may be getting too far into the weeds, but uh, I'll give it a shot anyways, is you said that one of the major changes that helped um, was to put money first, whether it's in your design or the conversations you have and even your focus. Um, One thing that you all do on the website is you reference everything in terms of annual budget. Mm -hmm. And um, that takes me back every time I see it because I always think it's going to be monthly budget because maybe mm-hmm. that's just how my brain works. And then I realize it's annual. And so I get very excited and then I get like a little bit depressed. I'm like, oh, because I, yeah. I look at CycleJS, I'm like, wow, six grand a month. And then I see it I'm like, oh, that's annual. And then I have like a mm-hmm. sad emoji face. Uh, yeah. curious, you're curious why you focus on annual budget and what the implications of that have been. Um, that's a, like, look, that's a, that, that's a very fair point. Um, uh, because most of the donations are recurring, we 
project the those donations to a year. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that organizations need that sort of previsibility um, of where we're going to be a couple of months down the track, where, you know, what's, what, what do we have to work with during a whole year? And I think that's very healthy to start thinking mm-hmm. about these groups as organizations, as collectives that mm-hmm. have, you know, like a proper, um, they can, they know, exactly, they know sort of what they're going to have in four months down the track. So what features can they build now, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that, that was the goal of, um, of having the annual budget. When we redesigned the page, we put the monthly budget as well, the available budget there as well, for that number mm. to be sort of readily um, available. Um, so you can um, you can see how much they have to spend for the year, but they also see how much they have right now. Um, and so that's a way of, for us, you know, what, what we're trying to do is to incentivize um, more backers and sponsors for uh, these collectives, and and it's um I think design. I mean, behavioral wise, it's it's a tough call. Like on the one hand, you want to show that a collective is successful because you know that brings more donations, but at the same time, you right. don't want to show like you have too much money because then they're like, oh, I'm not going to give to these guys. They already have you know all of this money. Um, mm-hmm. so I mean, it's we should probably do more testing on on. Um, how are you know the backers uh, or potential backers or sponsors feel when they see one number or the other one? Um, you know, if you see that a collective has four hundred dollars, you might not be very inclined to support because you think that you you know whatever you have to give might not really you know make a difference or they're not going to be sustainable anyway, kind of thing. And so we were also trying to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the bigger number is always uh, more exciting as Jared has clearly stated that he gets mm-hmm. really excited with the bigger number and the smaller number could uh you know he gets the sad face emoji whenever he sees a smaller number yeah. as opposed to the original bigger number maybe i missed it but what exactly what does the annual budget number consist of is it the expected donations or yeah, is it actually budget. something where the team behind project x or webpack or whatever has gone and said okay we have these expenses now let's raise towards those expenses. No, it's the projected donations. Okay. And then yeah. you also show funds available, which means that they're going to potentially, they're projecting 33, I'm just using Webpack as an example, 33, mm-hmm. you know, $34,000 a year in annual, annual budget. And right now they've got just a little under $14,000 of right, funds available. They, correct. So that's what they have to spend right now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so they can submit expense. I mean, they can submit any expense that they want. And we actually encourage them to submit all their expenses, regardless of um, whether they have the funds to cover them or not. We're soon going to get, um, we're going to do this feature where I can say, you know, we we are spending, I'm paying out of my own pocket for Project X, um, I don't know, $100 per month for whatever service. Um, please help us cover it. And so someone can choose to either make a donation to the sort of larger pot or can decide, okay, I'm going to just cover your hosting costs or I'm going to cover your, you know, rental of the mic for your podcast or whatever, whatever it is. I want to give them like certain things. That's what I was thinking. Like, is the, is the budget based on, like, as Jared said, it's kind of weird why, why you use an annual budget and then also call it a budget versus uh, donations or some other term for it where I can like go and list out Well, we have hosting, we have, meetups uh once a month so there's a, a certain number that 
takes to create that meetup. We've got a swag order going in place. We got this person going here to uh, spread the news and evangelize. We've got this person going there to give a talk at their local meetup. There's expenses associated there. They kind of mm -hmm. add all those up and make a, a budget. But it seems it's the opposite, which is. It's like a double entry. Like sometimes, you know, you, you know that you have some a grant, for example. And so you decide how you you better allocate those resources. Um, or, or you have, this is how much I have to be, because if you don't know, if you have more money than you thought, or if you have less money than you thought, you might sort of allocate your resources differently. So what we want to give the collectives is an idea of how much money they're going to have for the year. So they can plan better and create a better roadmap. Um, but they can also list all their expenses and, and encourage people to support, to cover each of those expenses in particular. Mm -hmm. Right, because if you only take the these are my expenses approach, then um, I think that you'll tend to be, you know, there are things that you might not include because you'll never think you get the money right. to do. Right? It doesn't like to so, dream bigger either. I wasn't advocating one way or another. I was just trying to figure out how it mm -hmm. broke down because on one side of my brain, I'm thinking, okay, it'd be nice to actually set a budget because it's it's true. It's what I it's what I or the organization needs to do what we're trying to do. And on the other side, it's like, well, if we dream a little bit bigger, maybe we can, you know, do a bit more and, and fly somebody somewhere versus uh, do a teleconference, for example. Yeah. You know, so gives them a bit more legs there. And what I think is beautiful about what this conversation is that now open source projects can do that. And that's that's where, you know, I, I feel like this sort of warm, fuzzy feeling of we're doing a great thing for this community because you can now plan like that. You can have your budget. You can dream bigger. You can stop worrying about other things. Maybe we're not going to, we're definitely not at a point where maintainers can get fully paid for open source, for their open source work. I would absolutely love um, to take Open Collective there. And that's what I work for. But at least we are now having a conversation about, all right, we have this money. How are we going to use it, you know, better? What are our costs? And, and that sort of, that keeps open source sort of more sustainable for the future because these conversations is how you build stable, long lasting organizations. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what Jared said earlier, how he's um, just naturally cynical towards, towards a situation like this, where if you open the transparency up like that, you remove the assumptions. And like you said, also that this is something that the open source community hadn't really had at their fingertips to have a, decentralized way of basically collecting money and not having Jared or me be the caretaker of that money. It's, it's removed from us. So there's a lack or a potential, hopefully a, a lack of, uh, of a foul play, I guess, or what, what do you call that? The, the word friction. Uh, I was thinking more like uh, corruption, corruption. Yeah. That's the word I was corruption. thinking of and I lost yeah. it. So the lack of corruption on, on how the money, cause that's the biggest problem is that, is that yeah. uh, you come in with this lack of trust. And then the other side of that is that open source hasn't had this. You haven't been able to collectively organize a group without having a political or legal entity, as you had mentioned earlier. Now you have a way where you can mm. and you can be transparent about it. So there's trust. That's, right. that's like a new foundation to build upon that hasn't been there before. So the yeah. overarching point we're trying to all get here, uh, I think, was like figuring out what you had done well versus other platforms. I think that's clearly a good example of, you know, getting to a realization of how important transparency is. 
Yeah, especially in, especially in a, in a world where you might not know ever, you know, meet the person you're working with, right? Maybe right. we have collectives that they've never seen each other. Um, and so getting to trust each other, it's, 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 as you say, it's very, it's very difficult. Um, and yeah. being transparent about it, it's, it's as important towards the backers and the, and the sponsors as it is towards your own community and the members, your fellow core, core, core contributors. Let's, um, that's a good spot to take our next break. This is our final break for the show. But when we come back, we're going to dive deep into, you know, what the future might hold for Open Collective and those uh, trusting this awesome platform to to empower them to to unite and form, you know, uh, international communities that are not bound by their birthplace or origin. It's uh, you're, you're breaking down barriers. So let's take this break. When we come back, we'll dive a bit into where the future is going. So we'll be right back. Rollbar puts errors in their place, full stack error tracking for all applications in any language. And I talked to Brian Rude, the CEO and co-founder of Rollbar, deeply about what Rollbar is, what problem it solves, and why you should use it. Take a listen. How do you build software faster? Like, how do you build better software faster? Um, and there are like, there are tons and tons of, of aspects to that. Like, in Ruby is like, can you have a better language? Can you have better frameworks that help you be more expressive and more productive? So the flip side of that is like, after you've built something that works, or at least mostly works, how do you like go about getting it from working to like in production and actually working? How do you cover the edge cases? How do you find things you missed? How do you iterate on it quickly? And that's kind of where what we're trying to do comes in. So we're trying to say, after you've shipped your software, you're not done. You know you still there's still work to do and we want to help make that process of maintaining and polishing and, and keeping things running smoothly be really 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 easy so like developers spend roughly half their time debugging right so anything we can do to make that process better is going to have a huge impact all right that was brian ruse ceo and co-founder of rollbar sharing with you exactly why it fits why it works for you head to rollbar.com slash changelaw. You get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. That's basically 300,000 errors tracked totally for free. Give Rollbar a try today. Again, head over to rollbar.com slash changelaw. All right, we're in the last segment with Pia Mancini talking about just in general funding open source through Open Collective, a lot of different ways to decentralize how you give to an organization that doesn't need a political backing or a legal entity. And Pia, we talked about a lot of fun stuff in this conversation, but to wrap it up, let's talk about um, portions of this blog post you wrote recently on Medium. It's titled 2016 on Open Collective and what's in the works for 2017. I'm more interested in the 2017 part because we've kind of covered 2016 so far in this conversation, but what happened? What's coming up that uh, people may not be aware of? Um. So, I mean, we're going to be experimenting with a couple of things that are all going towards our goal of enabling communities to be financially sustainable. So um, the first feature that is going to be um, live super soon, <clears throat> to put some pressure there, um, <laughs> it's going to be, it's gonna be um, being able to sell tickets for events or um, for, you know, any sort of conference that you're doing. Um, and um, and so there's, in that blog post that you mentioned, there is a link to um, the feature where we're having that discussion. We have a lot of meetups on Open Collective, and so we're trying to help them, um, you know, use Open Collective not only to receive 
donations, but also to sell tickets or swag or things like that for specific um, events. Um, so the other, the other sort of things that we're going to be exploring is with our with our common friend Justin, for example, Doffman from Sticker Mule. Yes. If we can um, allow for people to buy stickers from open source projects and then that money going to their open collective, like that sort of marketplace. Um, the same with Teespring. Um, so projects can have uh, like a campaign where they are promoting, they have um, t-shirts with the project's logo, then someone can go buy, purchase that uh, on Teespring. And then that money, you know, above the cost, whatever goes to their open collective. So finding these ways of integrating with other services that will help them um, be more sustainable. Um, and also part of this effort is um, something that we touched upon before, this idea of office hours. So if you have sponsors that you're offering them, you know, five hours per month, um, with the core team to go through their pains and issues they're having using your software, then managing all of that can be very stressful, obviously, um, for the maintainers, and it shouldn't be their job. So how do we make that very, very easy for them where they, you know, a ticket can be a slot for an office hours as well, right? right. For, a, for an hour of a call. So everything that goes towards helping them manage um, the way they are um, sustainable and the way they receive more funding. And um, that's going to be our focus for 2017, which mm. brings me to the second issue there in the blog post that is the sustain and conf that we were just talking about. Um, so what we'd like to do, and this is together with other organizations, um, again, Sticker Mule and GitHub and uh, GradiPay, um, how can we um, unchange log? How can we, um, <laughs> um, so having like a day long meetup um, of uh, maintainers and, and sponsors and, you know, a mix of people talking about open source for the mm. future, how we can make this last in, in the future. Um, and sort of the idea of the sustain and conf is going to be quite flexible. Um, but we, what we know we don't want is like having speakers or, you know, having keynotes, we, we want to talk about it face to face, um, you know, in real life about what are we doing, how we, where we want to go, where, how can we help the open source community reach um, the places they want to reach and, and, you know, make these amazing softwares last and be well maintained and, and keep growing. So it's going to be like a large conversation about that. And that's coming up in May um, 2017. So very soon. Yeah, yeah, very soon. We are, uh, yeah, soon. Don't say that. <laughs> so if, someone's, if someone's listening, where would they go to find out more? How can they submit their name to an email list or just kind of be informed? What's the best way to keep up on that? Okay, thank you for that. So um, in our Open Collective Slack, so slack.opencollective.com, um, there's a channel, Sustain and Conf. Everyone's talking there. Like that's the place where we gather. Okay. So just join slack.opencollective.com. And in there, the sustain and channel. It's a very agile unconference, uh, moving very quickly, <laughs> uh, coming soon. Uh, I know Justin Dorfman uh, from Sticker Mule is working on a website, so there'll be more information coming out soon. That should be a lot of fun and a lot of good conversations will be had around 
sustaining open source there. You mentioned Granite as another uh, person involved or another group that's involved in that. One thing we haven't done, and Granite is probably the other platform that I think about when it comes to this kind of funding for projects. It, just briefly, could you give us a quick compare and contrast? Like, what are the things where Gratipay and Open Collective are the same, and like, how are they different? Just for a reference. Sure, I think the main difference is like our our aim. If you want our, our goal in life is the same. We want to make open source sustainable for the future. Um, what the main difference is that we don't require um, a bank account or a legal entity to receive the funding and we have an element of transparency about who's funding the project and where that money is going. Yeah. I think that's the, sort of the biggest difference. Yeah. Very cool. One thing that I've been thinking this whole conversation and haven't quite asked yet, so I'm going to just lay it out there now, is you mentioned that uh, it's in the works and perhaps in the near future you're you're separating Open Collective, the host, the open source host, which is the legal entity that has to is becoming a nonprofit, from Open Collective, the company that runs the platform. Um, first of all, did I understand that correctly? And then secondly, if I did, how does Open Collective, the company, make money, and what's its plan for sustainability? Um, yeah, you 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 got that exactly right. Um, so the company had um, some early in, so investors early on. Um, they're all listed in opencollective.com slash, I think, FAQ in the, I think in the okay. FAQs or in the about. Um, so all our investors are there. Most of them are um, friends, co-founders, entrepreneurs um, from other companies that are just um, supporting this. Um, we decided a couple of months ago not to raise a traditional sort of Sit round if you if you wish. Um, we are trying to bootstrap as much as we can. It's 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 a big challenge. It's hard, um, but the goal is to try and keep this um, this project as lean as possible until we can live out of um, the fees we charge. And so at the moment, we Open Collective keeps five percent of the donations that coming through the platform, and. Um, the host organization that until now it's still open collective, but it's going to be separated very soon, keeps mm -hmm. another 5% or hosts can choose to have a different percentage, but the platform okay. is going to survive with, um, survive, sustain itself with 5% of the donations that go into the platform. So 5% goes to the company and then, uh, and then another 5%, another, another percentage, 5% if you're on the open source or the open collective Correct. collective. But if you're on a different host like Docker, they could take 3% or 5%. It's up to them. Exactly. Um, so, so collectives so, so, that are joining, they know up front that, Hey, I'm going to, you know, between five and 10% of our donations are going to go to the platform slash host. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. Um, cool. there's, there's a, a lot of sort of, um, um, work involved, but when we don't uh, sort of administrative tasks of reviewing the expenses and making sure that um, you know the invoices are correct and and paying reimbursing everyone every Friday and dealing with the bookkeeping and taxes and all of that, then the platform fees are five percent. When we do sure. all of that, which means when we're a host, then the sort of whole fee is ten percent. Maybe we can also mention to the 
extra effort you put into actually helping collectives succeed. Mm. So I know when we talked to Sean, Jared, I don't know if we got too deep into it, but I think maybe in some of the breaks or uh, post conversations after the actual show, we talked a bit about their involvement with Open Collective and their success there, which I don't think we covered too deeply on the show, just enough maybe uh, towards the right. end. But he was very um, thankful for the loads of help that he had gotten from you all. And I'm not sure what that meant or what the details were, but maybe that's something you could touch on too, is the, not just the bookkeeping side and the, you know, platform side, but the actual human element that you bring Mm -hmm. to say, how can we help collectives be successful? Yeah. I mean, and and I think that um, that's part of the, um, if you know, if you want mod, you know, moderate initial success that we, 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 we've had is that, um, our interests are very much aligned. Like the better the open right. source community does, the better Open Collective does. Um, and then we have more spare, you know, money to build in features that are going to help the open source community have more uh, funding and better funding and better access. So um, it's it's this sort of you know virtuous cycle, if you want. So my my time, or at least I believe so, it's it's very well spent when I help our projects connect with their sponsors or, you know, help them through how they're going to spend the money, help them sort through some of the conflicts that might bring suddenly having funding or helping them with ideas like writing blog posts with them, like reviewing their blog posts or, you know, anything that that we can do to help them um, have more sponsors and have a healthier relationship with their funding and get the word out there as you know, for us is it's it's a win-win situation, and so we do help them a lot. Like initially, what what I was doing was like just reaching out to sponsors myself, saying like this is an amazing open source project you guys should give money to, or I know that Netflix uses this, or I know that Yahoo uses this, or you know Spotify uses this. You know, you should support them. And um, so, and I think that it was a really good effort, but. Um, it felt a bit, a bit less legit. So we, you know, because I'm not part of that community um, or that project in particular. So now what we're doing is, you know, they write an initial blog post launching their open collective and then we share it among, you know, the companies that we know and our contacts among the sponsors and um, that that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I try to, I chase them a lot. <laughs> so poor Sean, like I, I, you know, I ping him every now and then about a blog post that, that I really want him to do. Or, um, um, yeah, the, the pre-act theme, you know, they still, I, I would love them to do their blog post to launch their open collective, but it's doing great. And I want them to, you know, harness this momentum and, and really, um, get more funding. So I, I've been pestering, uh, them a fair bit. But I think that that's part of our role as, you know, Open Collective is really helping um, our the collectives that we that are on our platform be the best that they can um, and, and have the best possible funding and best relationship with their sponsors and and in general have a healthy ecosystem for supporting open source long term. A healthy ecosystem for supporting open source long term. That sounds like a pretty good mm-hmm. thing to me. What do you that's, think, Adam? That's the best direct, whether it's not a tagline or not, I don't know. That's the easiest, concise way to say it. Mm-hmm. All right. Maybe, it. Me too. Maybe that's our new tagline. 
<laughs> there you go. At least for the open source section. Well, exactly. you mentioned the uh, the five percent and the ten percent, and uh, you know, despite how much success you've had in the first year, which is is admirable, and it's been a lot. I mean, annual budget across the whole system, I think you said was th- around three hundred ninety three thousand. Mm-hmm. And so, if we just do a little bit of math on that, five percent of that, well, ten percent would be thirty nine grand. So you're making, you know, as a team, the platform slash open collective host is made less than, you know, forty thousand. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, your boots, you know, you're you have some money. Thankfully, right now you're trying to stay bootstrapped. But um, where do you have to get in terms of like, do you guys have a goal for, you know, here's our sustain our sustainability point uh, for for open collective the team? Um, we need to get to a million dollars per year so that we can get, you know, eight percent of that or What's your we goals don't. in terms of you don't? We, 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 I mean, we, we know obviously our burn rate and, and how much runway we have left. And, and our, rain, our burn rate currently is um, under, I would be around 30K a month, a bit under that maybe. Uh, but um, so we, we know we need to hit that mark before our current funding runs, um, runs out or we need to bring more investors on board or mm-hmm. you know we need to um to build something that we 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 really like to experiment with maybe i mean open collective being an open collective which is it is but but right. but to its full extent right so having members and saying like what these guys are doing are it's really important for online communities across the board so yes i'm going to give to webpack but i'm also going to give to open collective um, so we are running a very, very lean operation at the moment where there's three of us, a um, designer that we, uh, that's a contractor. Um, and so we're, we're trying to really be very careful with, um, how we spend, but we are also very, you know, trying to be, to be very bold in, um, how we experiment with, with funding. That's something that we struggle a lot with. We do not want to go through the traditional path. And so how, you know, whether we end up being ourselves an organization that, you know, you could give $10 per month, right? Because you believe in Open Collective as a platform. And so and that might be very doable for us. So like we'd really prefer that model. So if we can live on that, that's definitely what we'll uh, what we would try to do. Um, And experimenting is fun. Like, you know, we we. we are trying to really think outside of the box in terms of new organizational structures for Open Collective. So it's it's fun, a lot of fun. Uh, it's mm. scary, but a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so just some quick math here, based on Jared's estimate of just under forty thousand, your burn rate roughly being thirty k a month. You pretty much need to, at current burn rate, ten x uh, annual budgets to get close to meeting your burn rate. Yeah, to break even. Yes, so like, absolutely. So like four million ish. Yeah, yeah. Would get you. Would get you break even. Mm-hmm. I mean, will if I mean if it if this doesn't happen. So something that I didn't mention that I think is interesting as well is we the three of us took a ten year vesting on Open Collective. So okay. we are like a traditional sort of C corp C corp. Um, but instead of having a four-year vesting, that is the average sort of time in which your, you know, equity sort yeah. of. Uh, so we took a ten-year one because we we think that this is long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And so if we have to 
you know, find creative ways of supporting Open Collective uh, throughout the first couple of years until we are sort of at that point. I think we, we you know, we would we would experiment with that. We are really here for the sort of long haul. Um, and so that's that's also a signal that we want we wanted to give to everyone in the community. Like we're not building something that we're not building a company that you would flip and sell in four years. This is really for us. It's mm-hmm. like you know, ten years of our life that we decided that we want to do this at least um, because this will take time, and we are more than okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we don't meet that next year, it's going to be the next one, and we'll find ways of you know, crossing the desert. Wow. That's really, that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I think the next thing I'll say is thank you for, uh, (laughs) for stepping out like that. I mean, not many people are doing that and it takes a lot of courage to, and commitment, giving that, uh, you know, you have family, you have people you love, you have things you can do and, and, but to, to commit yourself like that to such a great cause is, is awesome. And to, to do it well, I mean, year one, this is year one. I mean, not even year one, it's still under year one. And even during that year, you, to your own words, weren't getting it right, so to speak. You learned the lesson of transparency first and making the communication between funding and the community and that kind of thing be a bit more transparent and be a bit more clear. And so this is what you did year one. I can't wait to see the, I can't wait to talk to you next year and be like, Bam, this is what happened. I know, how exciting, right? <laughs> uh, well, Pia, anything else you want to cover? I know Jared and I had a lot of questions here, but we're getting ready to wrap up. So, I mean, I want to give you a chance to to cover anything that we may have not talked about that you wanted to cover. Anything, any closing thoughts, any any uh, welcoming invitation to the community, to Open Collective, whatever you want to share here is, is really what this is about. So anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Um, you, no, you guys been super thorough. Thank you very, very, very much for, um, for having me and just to your audience in general, I really love you to go to open source, um, to opencollective.com slash open source, let's apply and, you know, join this community. Um, I think that, as I said, the more amazing projects we have, the better, uh, we're going to get at having better sponsors, more backers and you know, we would love to have everyone uh, on board um, as long as you're not like webpack that you're breaking <laughs> open <laughs> collective. <laughs> but no, I'm kidding. Right, pretty much. That's the success <laughs> story much, there. But pretty yeah. much, right? Yeah. So, um, no, we, we, we love webpack. They've been amazing. And it's such a great example of how this can work when everyone's interest is aligned and we are talking about the topics that we need to talk and dealing with the issues that you know we need to deal with and such a great project that uh, yeah we love them anyway i also want to direct people for you uh since open collective is open source go to github.com slash open collective you'll see uh some various projects there i believe uh your website i believe is just slash open collective mm-hmm. so, and there's a bunch yeah. of issues there so to the community out there listening if you want to step in and help uh triage issues documentation, uh, things like that. That's probably a great place to get started to reach out to the team behind Open Collective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We welcome every PR and support and issues and feedback. We we really thrive on on feedback. And um, so, yeah, just jump in there. 
And even the issue you mentioned earlier, issue 177, was support for paid events. A lot of communication going on there from the team. Everything from the details on the API to some of the design pieces there. So we'll link that up in the show notes, listeners. So uh, just go to the show notes to check out that that uh, the notes and obviously links there. So we'll link out to that. And I think this is really interesting how you're sharing all this there and inviting people to come in and participate. It's like, Jared, we're not even doing this level of like sharing a design and issues. We need to do this more, man. <laughs> we need, we need to, well, I mean, we do have the Slack. We're opening that up. That's, that's something happening soon, but this is definitely leading in a, in a good way. So I like that. Well, Pia, thank yeah. you so much for joining us. And to the listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. And um, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you love open source as much as we do. We wrap a great big green heart around open source and the communities around it. So um, thank you for listening to the show. And if you don't subscribe to our weekly email, Jared, is this is this a good email or is it a bad email? What, is, what kind of email is it? What is wrong with you? If you don't subscribe to this email, right? Come on. Changelog.com slash weekly. You've listened this far into this episode and you're not subscribed to Changelog Weekly. What is wrong? What's wrong here, Adam? Fix the problem. Go to changelog.com slash weekly. Put your email in. No spam. The best email ever. Overarching all of open source, all of the community. It's language agnostic. We, we, We share lots of great stuff in there. Our favorites, everything from best projects to videos we find on YouTube and elsewhere to uh, some of the best articles out there covering what's happening uh, in open source today. So that's it for this show. So let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks again, Pia. Bye guys. Thank you.